open heart. We talked about honoring God in marriage. How to handle what he's entrusted to us. In, in essence, Malachi has been a call to passionate spirituality on every level of our lives. This morning we're going to finish this book up by starting at Malachi chapter 3, verse 16 and read it through the end of the book. Follow along if you would. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a, book, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. Between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will not leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant? Even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb and for all of Israel? Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you this morning, I believe it's the eager desire of everyone here to not take cues from the media, from our culture. Lord, to resist aligning our life with those around us, but to align our life with the truth of your word. And Lord, on some levels, we know that that takes great courage. And certainly surrender. This morning, Lord, I pray specifically that your spirit would instruct us, encourage us towards walking with you and living for you with great passion. And Lord, it's, it can be hard. It's not always easy, and so I don't, I don't pray this lightly. And so we pray it in the power of the name of Jesus who can transform us and change us. Amen. I asked a question as I have been reading through this often. What would be the last thing you would want to tell somebody if you were going to be silent and not talk to them for quite a while? Not just anyone, though. Somebody you love deeply, fervently. What would you say to them before there would be silence? Before there would be separation? Before they'd no longer hear your voice? And we see in this last part especially of Malachi, these accumulated reminders and remembrances. And they're meant to teach us about developing passion, but, but even more than that, they're meant to prepare these people 
Because there would be 400 years where the voice of prophecy is about to be silenced. What would God leave his people with? What would be the message God would leave for his people before a cold, hard, and silent days? Malachi tells us. Chapter 3, we start verse 13 to 16. We, we have some remembrances. Then those who feared the Lord, we spoke to one another. The Lord gave attention and heard it, and a book of remembrances was written before him. And although several had turned away, there was a remnant. There was a group who still feared him, who still esteemed him and loved him. And it kind of takes us back to the whole Old Testament. As in previously grim generations, there are always some who revered and honored God. And God noted them, and he remembered them. An example in the days of Judges, the majority ignored God, but the Judges became themselves a remnant. In Elijah's day, over 7,000 did not even kneel before God, but they kneeled to Baal. And those who did it, who bowed before God, God remembered them. God's always had a remnant. And it brings assurance, his words, about his faithfulness. And he brings assurance to the remnant by way of remembrances. And the first thing he says is, they will be mine. Verse 17, they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. That's a pretty great reminder. I mean, there's going to be about 400 years of silence, and so this generation is going to communicate to that generation, to that generation. What's one thing God wants them to remember? You're mine. You're mine. He would not forget them. He would not let them go. And as this remnant found their treasure in him, he found his in them. There's a great comfort to the tried and tested ones who value fellowship with God above all else. Some here might be willing to stop being God's child, but he's not willing to stop being your father. He says you're mine. And you say, well, that's the Old Testament. What's that got to do with me? Well, Ephesians brings it home to you and me. 1, 13 through 14, message Paul gives by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is in him, being Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge to our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. We see it again in Galatians 4, verse 4 through 5, this whole idea that talks about Jesus coming. For when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And isn't that what we just sang? <laughs> we're now children of God. No longer slaves to fear, but he's redeemed us. We're now his we are his. And somehow, I think in the reading of Malachi and other passages of Scripture, it seems like the religious crowd thought that they would find this acceptance, find that they would, they would they'd find this value in God's eyes by doing. God says, no, it's in being. It's in being my child. That was the great hurdle and obstacle of the Pharisees. They thought it was by doing. God says to you and I, you're valuable to me. You're mine. Now I can say, Cindy is a wife, 
and I can say Angela, Benjamin, and David, and Emily are children, but doesn't it change when I say she's my wife, and they're my children? Yeah, it becomes more intimate, it becomes more personal, but how much more so when God looks at his children and says, you're mine, you're mine. I'm your father, and I love you, and you're valuable to me. And I sense God's words are much emphatic here. You are mine. And that won't change, God says. I'm not going to change my mind tomorrow. You are mine. I love Isaiah 43, verse 1 through 4. This isn't a soul message of Malachi. It seems we need to be reminded. But now thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. And if that's not enough, what does this look like as we live our lives? Well, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And though the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place, since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored, I love you. Those are powerful words. I mean, it's not just the message of Malachi. It's the message all over the Bible. God says to his children, to you and I, who've trusted Christ, you're mine. You're mine. You belong to me. You're my own possession, which is the second remembrance we have in Malachi. God says, you're my own possession. Literally, you are special. You're my valued treasure. In the setting of the Ten Commandments of God's law, we realize, we, we see God communicate that very thing. That the law was given for the protection of God's people. Why? Because they were special and valued treasure in God's eyes. One of the things we tend to forget about the Bible is this is God's word to us. Why? Because we're special and we're valued. And He cares about us. He wants to protect us. That's what the Word of God does. It protects us. It provides for us. And the reason God gave it is because we're special and value in His sight. Now the church possesses similar blessings to Israel. as We read about it in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You see, Israel was called to be God's own possession. A kingdom whose citizens were called priests with access to God. A holy nation separated unto Him. And through Christ, the church is part of God's plan as His very own possession. Don't ever forget it. But God brings something else to remembrance to them. He says at the end of verse 17, And I will spare them. It's a good reminder. In other words, your enemy doesn't have the last word. The day of which God speaks of is the day of His judgment that attends His coming. And although He will come in judgment, the righteous, because they're a possession of God, God will spare them. How? As a father spares a son who serves Him. And on that day when all the wrongs will be addressed and all the wickedness will be punished, it will be apparent that God does judge justly. And He does make a distinction between those who serve Him and those who do not. 
These seems these verses pulsate with the message that you and I are of great value in God's sight. And because of that, come that day of judgment, you'll be spared. And so much so are we valuable that God continues throughout Malachi and throughout all the Bible to communicate you and I special and valued treasure and He will act on our behalf. Olaf Hartman, a theologian, said this, I appreciate his words, All men stand under the stars and look heavenward and long to belong to someone's collection of values. All men stand under the stars. They look heavenward and they long to belong to someone's collection of valuables. You belong to God's collection of valuables. You are precious in His sight. And this brings a powerful observation that we all long to belong. We need to be special to someone. And I'm sure if you've read about it, you've grieved with me these suicides in Litchfield about a week ago. I couldn't help but think, oh Lord, if they could have just known somebody thought they were valuable and that they would be missed and that someone cared. And that often drives people to do desperate things where they don't belong or don't feel like they belong to someone's valuables. God doesn't want you and I to feel that way. He wants you and I to know that we're valuable to Him. And he cares deeply about us. And this need is common to everyone. No one's ever less than an individual, but no one is ever just an individual. We're very valuable in God's sight. We're meant to belong. We're designed that way, and it's God's plan that we belong to Him and through Him to one another. That's His design. We are numbered among His valuables. Speak all you want about the depravity of man, but Scripture also speaks to the dignity of man. You see, God looked down the corridors of time when we sinned thought about his son, the sacrifice that would have to be made, and he looked at you and I and he said, they're worth it. They're worth it. We're of great value in God's sight. And when the cold, dark days of silent are coming, remember that. You're of great value in God's sight. We may ask why God gave us Malachi. And it seems that this part, it's had such a hard edge to it, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's been in our face a little bit convicting and challenging us. But perhaps what someone shared with me from their devotions helps us understand why God gave Malachi. They said, when we love hard, it hurts much. And I thought, boy, it's true of God. God loves us hard. And he values us. And it must hurt much when we walk away. As I look at Malachi, I'm thinking, I, I know God took no delight in recording what he did. But you know what? When you love hard, it hurts much. And I think that's what pulsates through Malachi. God loves you hard. He values you. And it hurts much when we walk away. Recognize your value. Remember how the book began? I've loved you, God says, right from the very beginning in Malachi. I've loved you. It's the message he wants ringing in their ears when the cold, dark days come. And he wants it ringing in our ears. So when a night becomes silent, or life becomes cold and hard and difficult, don't forget that. You're of great value in God's sight. And he will act on your behalf as the future rolls around, which kind of leads into what he tries to remind people of. He gives four reminders in chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. 
Each of them has an emphasis. And each of them relate to you and I and where we're at in our Christian life. The first one, verse 1, judgment is certain. And this shouts out, judgment is certain. For behold, the day is coming, not might. God's not saying, I might consider whether I'll do this sometimes. No, the day is coming. It's coming. And when he will judge justly, perfectly justly. And it'll, here's how it's going to come. It's burning like a furnace. And all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the day is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will not leave them neither root nor branch. We know God is holy, and this attribute of God requires that he respond with wrathful judgment when confronted with sin, rebellion, and disobedience. If you're concerned about injustice, look ahead. The judgment he executes in responding to sin is just and it's right. It's never based on merely outward actions or superficialities, but the inward condition and the attitude of the heart. That's what God looks at. In verse 1, we have an image of a furnace. Now, you remember chapter 3, verse 2, this image was used and it described God's purifying work of his people. However, this furnace is different. Here in chapter 4, 1, the object is not purification, but eternal punishment. Severe and thorough. Conscious, painful torment. That's what the future is for those outside of a relationship with God. It's an ultimate judgment. You see, hell's a real place. If I could be very candid and point blank for a moment, if you don't know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, you're going to hell. Not because I say it, but because God said it. Matter of fact, Jesus spoke a lot about this place called hell. That's the bad news. The good news is, you don't have to go there. You have a choice. And how many, how many times I've had conversations with people say, why would a loving God send people to hell? And I've said, whoa, wait a minute. You've got a choice in this thing. It's not where he wants you to go. You have a choice. And that's the word God gives. Judgment is certain. But for those in Christ, those who are children of God, you don't need to live in fear. Keep coming back to that song. What a great song it is. We don't need to live in fear because we're children of God. But God reminds them judgment is certain. And when it seems like things are really way out of whack and disoriented, remember, judgment is certain. The wicked won't win. They won't, even though it may look like it right now. He gives them a second reminder, and that is righteousness will win. (laughs) It pays off in the end. You see, the decisions we make now, the choices we make, they will pay off when we follow Christ in obedience. Righteousness will win. Now, if you look at verse 2, but for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Some church fathers often understood the Son of Righteousness to refer to be Christ, but I don't see that as a correct interpretation. I believe it simply means that righteousness is itself to be like a son, in the day of God's judgment. Look at it this way. If you ever, winter can get long. We've had a pretty easy winter, but let's be honest. I mean, it gets old waking up to the cold. And when you go months after months after months of cold, and you walk out that first day to warm sun, ah, you just want to stand in it. It feels so good. That's what he's talking about. It's cold, and it's dark, 
But there's going to come a time where we walk out and we're going to have the warmth of righteousness. And in that day, God says, when that day, there'll be growth. There'll be healing of all hurts. There'll be wounds which the power of darkness has inflicted upon the righteous. The sun of righteousness will spread its light and its warmth over the earth. Verse 3, not, not so for the wicked. <laughs> you see, the wicked who seem to be ruling will appear so no longer. But righteousness will pay off, not wickedness. So look ahead. Don't get overwhelmed by the now, by the difficulties that we presently face. Long, hard, cold, dark winter. But righteousness will pay off. Righteousness will rise with healing. I love the end of verse 2. How do you not like that? When you go forth, skip about like calves from the stall, and as children of God will, 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 will live with that sense of vibrancy and excitement that this is the way it's supposed to be. Living in righteousness. And that's very uh, visual, isn't it? We'll be bounding about, excited, satisfied completely in the presence of God and His righteousness. We develop passion as we increase the value we place on the result of enduring difficulties. And I know there's difficulties now. Wickedness appears to pay off. But look ahead. God says righteousness will pay off. So look ahead. Judgment certain. Righteousness will pay off. What you do now matters. Develop passion by looking ahead. Knowing that God is faithful and He will reward your pursuit of righteousness. He goes on to say in verse 4, remember, first of all, remember the law of Moses, my servant. Because God's law, he wants to remember that law is still certain. It's still operative today. Remember God's law. It's unchanging. Because God's righteousness is unchanging, so is his expression of it, the law. God wants his people to embrace his law, embrace his word, to evaluate their actions, their habits, their attitudes, in light of his law. He goes on in verse 4 to say, not only remember the, Mo- the law of Moses my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him. Remember he gets back to the fact that it's called the law of Moses, but remember who gave it to him. God says I did. And the result would be that obstacles would be removed from their life. And remember as we've gone through this book, the attitude of arrogance we've run into, attitude of cynicism, compromise, closed hands, closed hearts, that attitude, those obstacles which got in the way between them and their relationship with God, God says if you will obey my law, you'll remove those obstacles. You'll once again be following me. And so as you and I apply God's revealed law, it would eliminate those obstacles. Let me give you an example. When you and I disobey God, and whatever it would be, whether it's stealing, whether it's impurity, whether it's disobedience in whatever form it would be, covetousness, there's consequences. God doesn't want us to have the consequences. He doesn't want you and I to have those obstacles. And so how do we remove those obstacles? How do we avoid them obstacles? Obey God's law. Obey God's word. There's fruit, there's benefit to obeying God's word. But when we don't, we just bring more obstacles into our life, which makes it harder. God draws them back to his word and says, remember my law. 
Remember it. Because it will help you. It will protect you. It will provide for you. And as these next years of silence and darkness and cold, and you're desperate to give up or challenged to compromise, because after all, where's the voice of God? Remember my law. It's unchanging. I gave it to Moses, and it's still operation today. Cling to it. Stand on it. Anchor yourselves in it. It will help you in the days ahead. There's one other thing. He says, God's promises are sure. Verse 5 and 6. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. In other words, no matter how dark the night, God's promises are sure. And the promise here is one of restoration. He referred to Moses in verse 4, and he couples that with a reference to Elijah. Our, if you're in a community group, you're going to have fun talking about Elijah and who he is and all that with John the Baptist, so have fun with that, Mom. But there's one lawgiver, God says, and there's one restorer who I've used and I'm going to continue to use. Some have equated these two with the two witnesses in Revelation 11, but as I said, I'll let your community groups interact with that. But this would put this prophecy as related to Christ's second coming, not the incarnation. But either way, the point is a promise is made here. It's a sure promise. Now listen to the certainty of God's promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For as many as are the promises of God in Him, Christ, they are yes. Therefore also through Him is our amen to the glory of God through us. You realize when you say amen, you're saying, yeah, God's promises are sure. I'm amening what God already said. When we sing amen, we're saying, God, so be it. So be your promises. I anchor on them. Amen to them. It's okay to shout amen, okay? And so that's what we're saying. We're saying that. Now, I found it more than a little interesting in verse 6. That as God's preparing his people for what's coming, these cold, dark days of silence, he talks about the key to restoring society, to restoring the community of God's people. He starts with dads. I found that more than a little interesting. Why? Why would he start with dads? Believe it or not, it sunk into me when I heard a song by Kelly Clarkson. Who are you familiar with her? She's got, I love her voice. Okay, I don't necessarily like all the song, but I love her voice. But this particular song is called Pieces to Pieces. It's a song... It's about two dads. It's about the dad she grew up with and then the dad, her husband now, with their new children. And the song is very sad because in the song she shares how devastated she was because her dad was never there and he left, didn't value her. And if you ever watch her sing it, it's tough for her to get through it. That's some raw emotion. But what she's saying is when there's not a dad, when there's not a father, there winds up being pieces, broken pieces of lives. I think God's saying, you know what, as the years come ahead, in order for the community, my community, in order for the family to live restored lives and vibrant lives, it starts with Dad. Dad, your heart needs to be restored. And children, as you're thinking, boy, I'm off the hook. No, keep reading the verse. <laughs> the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers. God would be working, and they certainly are linked, aren't they? 
As dads, as we open our lives and become vulnerable to our children and pour our lives into their children, oftentimes they reciprocate and they turn their hearts to dad. Even if you talk to prodigals who've walked away from their parents at young ages, something in them longs to come back to dad. Because God's key here, God's plan is that children and fathers and moms, of course, in homes would have their hearts turned to each other. God's promise is, I'm going to send Elijah, and he's going to bring a work of restoration. And he wants them to remember that. God's got a work of restoration going on. And because his promises are sure, because he's working, don't quit. Don't quit. I realize that certainly is a testimony all throughout Scripture. For our light and momentary struggles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, so don't quit. If you seek me, God says, you will find me if you seek me with your whole heart, so don't quit. Nothing in all of creation will ever ever be able to separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, so don't quit. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Don't quit. Knowing that the testing of our faith produces perseverance, God says, don't quit. And he brings these remembrances to you and I and to his people. He says, don't quit. Don't give up, which really brings us to these responses. And you and I need these, and we'll need them in the days ahead that are cold, disoriented, and you and I are going to need them to develop develop passion. Because remember, that's what Malachi is. It's a call to live passionately and to eliminate the causes of losing that passion. And the first thing God wants you and I to do is to recognize your value. God has declared you're of great value. He longs to make you his. It's Jesus' passion to bring us to God. We're about to embark on the Easter season. And you have a great chance to be a part of God, what God's doing by inviting people who need to know they're valuable, who need to know Christ died for them and rose from the dead. And you have a great chance to be a part of doing that. And as you do that, remember, He values you. No one lived a more passionate life than Jesus. And what was really the essence of his passion is his mission to come to earth. His passion was for you and I. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave. He gave completely and passionately because you and I have value. Recognize your value. You belong to a collection of someone's valuables, God's collection. Number two, look ahead. I know as you read the news, because I read it too, Wickedness just seems to be running rampant and getting more out of control. But look ahead. Righteousness will pay off. So endure. Seek the first, first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek it. Look ahead. Number three, eliminate obstacles. Develop a passion in obedience to God's Word so you won't have obstacles in this life between you and Him and obstacles to carrying out his plan and purpose for your life. Eliminate them. And God's, rever- God's word reveals how to do that. And child of God, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you to do that. And so remove obstacles in your life that would hinder you from living out God's purpose in your life. And four, I reiterate it well, don't quit. When you place a high value on finishing well, when you and I pa- build passion in our lives, God's promises are sure. 
So don't quit. The most passionate person who ever lived certainly teaches us ways to develop passion. That's the call of Malachi. To live a passionate life. And he ends it with those significant things. To recognize your value, to look ahead, to eliminate obstacles, and to not quit. When the days are dark, when it seems God is silent, when difficulties are mounting one thing after another, recognize your value, look ahead, eliminate obstacles, and do not quit. Let's pray.